Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. I'm joined today by William Bow from the Poll Bludger website, and we'll be discussing all of the various electoral redistributions that have taken place across Australia in the last six months, as well as prospects for the next federal redistribution of electoral boundaries. Since the federal election, we've seen a redistribution of the state electoral boundaries in Western Australia, as well as the boundaries for the territorial legislative assemblies in the ACT and the Northern Territory. We've also seen new ward boundaries for a number of Queensland councils, including Brisbane City Council, which is the largest local council in Australia. William, the draft boundaries for the WA redistribution were released in July. We're expecting the final redistribution to be released in the coming week. Uh, what were the major changes from the WA redistribution? Uh, the, the notable thing about them is that they changed very little. And in doing so, they kicked the problems that it need to be grappled with uh, you know, down to the next redistribution in another four years' time. Uh, basically, you know, you've got the usual situation in Australia where the metropolitan capital city is growing faster than the region does, and uh, as time goes by, seats get abolished in the country and added to the city. They have not done that on this occasion, and uh, they have had to really test the tolerances that they're allowed to have in terms of population to avoid fundamentally changing the electoral boundaries. So the way they've done that, right, is that the the rural electorates have a smaller population sort of at the bottom end of the allowable range, while the urban electorates in most cases have populations at the upper end of the allowable range. That's right? Yeah, that's right. I think the allowable range is 10%. So, you know, what you've got in Western Australia after this redistribution is that the rural seats are invariably way at the low end of that 10% tolerance and uh, most of the metropolitan seats are at the higher end. Um, what we, it, it, they've just, you know, tweaked the metropolitan boundaries as little as they can get away with. And uh, it hasn't really fundamentally changed anything for either side. And to that extent, Labor, I suppose, would be disappointed because Labor would, you know, want there to be more metropolitan and fewer non-metropolitan states. But if you actually look at what's happened within the metropolitan area, the changes such as they are are fairly consistently favourable to Labor. So the, the results of the last election was not close at all. Labor won in a, in a solid landslide in 2017. Uh, but of those marginals that do exist, and we, we, we kind of take our guesses about what a close election would look like if there was a swing back to the Liberal Party, uh, suggests that Labor would do a little bit better in some of those key seats. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit difficult to assess what a redistribution means when it follows from a really extraordinary election result, which was what happened in Western Australia in 2017. So, you know, we can calculate boundaries based on what would have happened in 2017, but what happened in 2017 is never to be repeated. And if it was, it wouldn't be a very interesting result, right? It wouldn't be the the kind of situation that we're most interested in. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, some of this stuff is hugely important for for the effective members of Parliament. But, uh, you know, when the, you know, unless you've got an, an egregious system of gerrymandering, which happily we don't have in Australia, then it's pretty, this is technical stuff when we're talking, if we're talking about an election in which, you know, there's a thumping landslide on voting results one way or the other. So I guess, you know, you do have to sort of cast your mind as to what, what would happen if this was going to be a sort of 50-50 type election. 
And uh, you know, the, we haven't really had one of those. We, I'm from Western Australia. We've not had one of those in WA since 2008. And uh, the uh, distribution of the population has changed a great deal since then. So, you know, you, there's, there's a bit of nebulousness in the analysis here. Nonetheless, uh, I, I think if you actually look at the, the changes that have been made individually to seats in the Perth metropolitan area, or that are proposed, this will all be finalised next week. A, a lot of the seats, particularly the northern suburbs, are usually the, the sort of crucible of state elections in, in Western Australia. And uh, a lot of the sort of the, the seats that were particularly those that were won by the Liberals when they had a landslide in 2013 and then lost by them when Labor swept the power in 2017. Uh, particularly Balcata and the sort of Burnt Beach, the, the northern suburb seats, which is where most of the mortgage belt is. The tweaks have generally been pretty helpful for Labor. Um, if I can sort of get into greater detail here. Uh, Please. The, 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 the biggest change is that uh, in a pretty unglamorous area of the northern suburbs of Perth, there's a new seat called Kingsway, which is effectively the successor to Girrawing, and a seat to the south of that called Mirabuka has been abolished, and it is now called Girrawing. So what you, this is the, the most sort of Labor voting area of, of the Perth northern suburbs. What used to be the extremely safe Labor electorate seat of Girrawing is now the somewhat safe Labor electorate, whereas Mirabuka is now called Girrawing and it's enormously safe for Labor. So that's the only big hit that Labor have taken. There's a, there's a seat there that Labor would lose in a disastrous election, which, you know, formally they would never have lost in any circumstance. The knock-on effects, though, are into seats which are actual battlefield seats. And, you know, because Labor have taken this hit where they can probably absorb it in Kingsway, the knock-on effects in other electorates in the northern suburbs of Perth tend to be favourable to them. And those seats are more important than Girrawing slash Kingsway is. So they've taken a hit in a super safe seat, uh, but that's helped them out in seats that are more likely to be tipping point kind of races that could decide a state election? Yeah, you know, if you had to impose a narrative on it, which is, you know, a tricky thing to do with redistributions, but, you know, I think that's, it's not just a question of seats neighbouring these electorates, you know, it's a question of knock-on effects. I think another thing might be that because the sort of growth is on the fringes of the metropolitan area, there has been a tendency for seats to move northward, and that sort of causes what were once sort of liberal landing seats further to the south to be moved into sort of better territory for Labor and become a little bit better for them. So, you know, I could sort of point out four or five seats around the metropolitan area where Labor would be pretty happy. And really only that one at Kingsway where they wouldn't. And even in that seat, you know, it would be a bad election. If they were losing that seat, you know, the one seat where I do think they have been badly harmed, then, you know, they're, they're, they're suffering a pretty bad election. Anyway. It's of interest to the local members of parliament there, if that's not sort of too arcane. But, you know, you, you've got a long-standing member of Geralt, Labor member for Girawane who has had her margin damaged very badly, whereas her southern neighbour is 
you know, looking like she's sitting pretty, except that the names of the seats have been changed. So the member for Girraween could theoretically say, well, I'm the member for Girraween. I should get the safe seat in the South. But in reality, it's not the same seat. But my understanding of is that this is not going to be a problem. One way or another, the member for Girraween with Margaret Quirk is going to take one for the team, either by retiring or putting up with the reduced rates. And that's my sort of understanding just from Scuttlebutt. What are those uh, other seats that you think Labor would be happy with? Uh, I've mentioned Belcata. Belcata has usually been a Labor seat historically, but that has been changing. It's an inner urban seat and its sort of complexion, it's become more rapid. It's sort of close enough to the city that it's a, it's a pretty desirable bit of real estate where with it, without having become kind of in a city growing left. So I think over time, Belcada has you know, trended away from Labor. But Labor lost it in 2013, won it back in 2017. They won practically everything in 2017. But uh, you know, I think Belcada had gone over time from being a, a Labor seat to a marginal seat. Uh, here, however, it, they've done Labor a very good turn by giving it a bit of territory out to the east. And you know, the further you get away from the ocean, the better it gets for Labor. So that's been very helpful for Labor there in what I think is, might even be like the median electorate in a natural 50-50 election in WA. But Valcata is a really, really crucial seat. So, you know, I think that's probably the single happiest bit of news for Labor out of all of this. Um, I also mentioned before Burns Beach, this is a coastal electorate in the, the new suburbs of Perth's outer north. Uh, the, the sort of dynamic that you get along this sprawling northern suburban current, because people want to live near the beach, so the Perth northern corridor really hugs the coast and extends a you know, horribly long way up north. So on the coast, you know, it... it tends to be, you know, it, it, it's, it's desirable real estate, it's liberal areas. But when you get very far north, you start getting people who want to live in Perth, but they want to live near the beach. In order to live affordably near the beach, they'll need to live a horribly long way from the city. Burns Beach is sort of on the cusp of where it becomes liberal and starts becoming Labor. So, and Burns Beach has gone from a 2.5% margin for Labor, which is the kind of margin you would expect to be pretty vulnerable if the result was to swing back to the centre. But uh, you estimate it's now got a 4.9% margin. Yeah, which is, you know, defensible for Labor. You know, a margin of 2 point whatever it was is the sort of seat you'd be saying, well, well done, Labor. Whereas once you're pushing it up near 5%, then, you know, Labor is starting to look competitive. So, you know, I think Burns Beach is going to be a front seat at the election, whereas had it not been like that, you know, Labor would probably have been writing it off and, you know, looking for other seats to defend. Uh, another seat in the northern suburbs is Wanneroo. Wanneroo has always been a uh, bellwether seat. Again, we're on the fringes of Perth here. We're not on the coast this time, though. Um, it has been redrawn in a way that slightly improves it for Labor, and any boost for you in Wanneroo is always going to be welcome to you. Wanneroo, Burns Beach and Balcatta all in the northern suburbs, and it's a kind of axiom of Western Australian state elections that northern suburbs are where the action is. 
So the ACT, for those who need a bit of a reminder, has five districts, each of which elect five members in a proportional voting system. Uh, currently, Labor and the Greens hold 14 of the 25 seats between them. So for that kind of combined majority to lose its majority, they would need to lose two seats. That would conveniently also give the Liberals a majority if both those seats went to the Liberals, although, of course, they could go to someone else. Um, so by my look of it, it looks like the Liberals have gained a boost against Labor in Murrumbidgee, which is the sort of southwestern, mid-southern district in Canberra. Uh, that is one of the two seats where uh, the Greens hold a seat. And uh, so the Greens vote has actually gone up with the redistribution, but the drop in the Labor vote might mean that either Labor or the Greens might be vulnerable to a Liberal gain there, and that would leave the government with a one-seat majority. Uh, but there's, it's not really clear. There's not much of a boost helping the Liberals will, with winning that extra second seat, where they're, which they're a long way away from winning. And we've got proportional representation. And I've been many happy things about that, is that these sorts of shenanigans tend to be less decisive. As you say, Murrumbidgee, I guess, is uh, important, but I, I think the status quo is likely to prevail there in any case. So uh, what the, the Liberals really need to be doing is winning an extra seat off Labor, probably at the northern end of Canberra, uh, in Yarrabai and Ginninderra. And nothing really has happened there. Yeah, there has been a change. It, it is a reasonably significant change on the map, but, you know, it, it's been completely inconsequential in terms of the balance of partisan support. So, you know, if the last election had been held on these boundaries, nothing at all would have changed. And, uh, you know, again, you know, I sort of make that point. I think it's you know, probably, while it is risk for the mill of the sophologist to be able to, you know, talk about, you know, how fundamentally things change when you have an electoral redistribution in a state like Western Australia where you've got single member electoral systems. Yeah, I think pretty much any way you divide up the, the, the tie of the five seats in the ACT, uh, it's, you know, sort of difficult to rig it one way or another. You know, we're back on political and electoral analyses of, you know, whether or not there's such a thing as an its time factor in the ACT, or if it's so, you know, died in its political ways that it's a almost permanent Labour-Greens majority. I could imagine a more moderate Liberal Party in the ACT maybe doing a little bit better, particularly when Labor has been in power for a long time. But the ACT Liberals largely swing very hard to the right. You know, they're kind of Tony Abbott Liberals, not Malcolm Turnbull Liberals. And I think as long as they kind of position themselves based sort of on federal political issues, maybe there's a lot of influence there from the federal staffers who fill up Canberra uh, in sitting weeks. Uh, I don't... I don't really see them being able to crack that last seat they would need to, to uh, gain control. The alternative, of course, is some other force comes along and wins some seats and uh, creates a balance of power where the Liberals would be viable at forming government. But that doesn't seem super clear right now. Yeah, I mean, like in the early history of the ACT as, you know, self-government, uh, it started out being this looking like you know, a council election with lots of sort of community independence groups because, you know, people were, were unhappy about the very fact of the parliament having been established. And that faded away as time went by and it 
it ended up becoming a very straightforward, you know, Labor Liberal Greens sort of contest. I wonder though if there's that sort of latent potential there for it to become more sort of, you know, local council-like in its elections if there is a mood to dump Labor because, you know, there may be, uh, you know, allergic resistance to, you know, dumping Labor in the traditional fashion by voting for the Liberal Party. But, you know, you could get some sort of independent, locally-oriented force emerging and Labor could lose power that way. As you say, though, you know, they uh, said Cicelja, am I right, that he was the Liberal leader in 2016? Yep, and now he's the senator. Yes, he is, and, uh, you know, he's a figure of the very heart, right? And, uh, uh, you know, it's, as you say, I, I don't think that's... Was, was a freakish event. I, I'm not sure who, who's even leading the ACT level at the moment. But uh, as you say, it seems that the dynamic of uh, the, the, the Liberal branches in Canberra is such that they are very doctrinaire. And uh, I, I think that's sort of... It's sort of I, I wonder if there's a parallel here between the sort of Warringah branches of the Liberal Party where, you know, the Tony Abbott's influence is, you know, extremely strong there. But this is an extremely, you know, blue-green, moderate liberal area, and it cost them the seat of Warringah. Uh, there's probably a parallel there in the ACT, and the, the people, I think because people in the ACT are politically engaged, I think people there who are of the Liberal Party, of the conservative side of politics, are being sort of swept along with the broader historic forces within conservatism. You know, that they're very plugged in to Trump and Brexit. Even if it makes it harder for them to win their local elections. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're sort of, you know, the the, the Sky News watching after dark kind of conservative who were really switched onto politics and passionately engaged with it and sort of swept along by the the tribalism that's consuming modern conservatism in ways that are electorally disastrous for them in places like Warringah and the ACT. That, you know, my better cut analysis, I don't know how right that is, but, you know, clearly there is some sort of problem for the Liberal Party and we saw this, you know, writ large at at the federal election. Affluent areas, you know, their, their support there is tanking. But, you know, happily for them at the federal election, you know, they're picking it up where they need it, but not in, not in a place like Canberra. So let's briefly cover the Northern Territory. Uh, I don't think we have any kind of margin estimates for the NT. I tried to do one myself and it was just... Yeah quite difficult. So I don't know if, if you have had any luck or if we, we might expect something from the ABC at some point. Uh, but part of the issue is that, you know, the NT has about half the population of the ACT and has 25 districts instead of five. So in a lot of places, there's a large population that are remote voters. So we don't know where in the electorate they live uh, or just even in urban seats, sometimes you only have three or four booths and, you know, it's very hard to kind of move a small portion of you know, what sometimes is only a few thousand voters. Um, but there is, there's been a few changes, not not anything too dramatic in the kind of urban north around Darwin and Palmerston, uh, but the Alice Spring electorates have shrunk down and that has meant Namajira, which was the very much the uh, Central Australia reg- remote 
Central Australia remote electorate has become a lot more Alice Springs based, which might be a good sign for the country Liberal Party. But like WA, the um, the Labor Party is very dominant in the Northern Territory. The CLP currently only hold two seats, uh, whereas I believe there's about eight independents out of 25. Labor's in such a strong position that a particular small swing in a very marginal seat probably doesn't have a tremendous amount of relevance um, in terms of what might happen in 2020. New margins will get calculated. Anthony will do it. But I haven't bothered myself and I don't blame you for not doing it either because these seats have two polling burdens and if that... And, uh, yeah, there's not really much you can do. And everything like we said before about Western Australia coming off an extraordinary result and that making it difficult to calculate and to read goes double for the Northern Territory because both North and Northern Territory and WA did have an unprecedented pro-label landslide last time. So, uh, you know, that, that makes it, you know, even if I did think it was worth the bother of calculating new boundaries, you'd have to say to yourself, well, what does this boundary mean? Because you can get really convulsive swings in Northern Territory based on local candidate factors. You know, they, these seats have got 4,000 or 5,000 voters in them, and they're, you know, enormously affected by the, you know, the, the local member people... You're not doing your job very well in, in the Northern Territory if you haven't introduced yourself to just about every voter on your patch. So, you know, that kind of thing that we try to do of boiling this down to purely partisan considerations works less well. And it's also the case in the NT that while there is a Labor Party and there's a country Liberal Party that on its surface looks a lot like the two-party system we have elsewhere, they are a lot less stable. We've had a number of Labor MPs expelled from the party in what look like reasonably safe seats. Uh, we also have uh, the former leader of the CLP planning to form his own party separate from the CLP to run against them, and the CLP has largely been decimated. So it's a it's kind of a mess, and it's quite hard to predict. Yeah, well, the, the only thing I, I really think I want to say about the Northern Territory is that it's crying out for proportional representation. It's, you know, an absurdity to have, you know, these tiny little electorates where, you know, 25 seats in, you know, a jurisdiction like the Northern Territory, it's, you know, tailor-made for solving all the problems that it's got by introducing proportional representation. There are all sorts of governance problems in the Northern Territory, but, you know, I, I think the biggest no-brainer going is, you know, the ACT got proportional representation. I think the Northern Territory very clearly needs so, uh, so the one other redistribution I wanted to briefly touch on is Brisbane City Council, uh, which is the largest council in Australia. It's also the one that looks the most like a, um, a federal or a state election in that you have single member wards and uh, most seats are represented by one of the major parties. In the redistribution, it looks like one ward, Doughboy, has flipped to Labor, uh, but Labor is a long way away from holding a majority on Brisbane City. Uh, so that brings the number of Labor wards from five to six. There's also one Green and one Independent on the council, and that's out of 26. So the LNP still holds quite a substantial majority, but Labor also narrowed the gap in a couple of others. The um, I'm going to return to Brisbane City in another podcast in more detail, but there was also a plan to change the voting system for, for Queensland local councils, and that would have had a much bigger effect in helping Labor, but in the end that was dropped. So it helps Labor a bit, but in the end there's going to need to be a significant change in the voting trends for Labor to um, gain control of Brisbane. So it looks likely that the LNP will stay in power. 
The berry distribution, I must admit, has escaped my notice. But, yeah, I, I just imagine that when you've got, a, you know, particularly a state Labor government that's probably not travelling all that well, uh, you know, that that's going to make it extremely difficult for Labor to reassert itself in the Brisbane City Council, you know, either in the wards or in the Lord Mayoralties. I haven't looked at the boundaries, but it's, it's always interesting to see what the Greens' prospects are in the inner city wards. Because they had never Greens, Queensland Greens never won a seat anywhere until until the last Brisbane Council elections when they, they did win that, that, that inner city seat. So that was the, 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 the first, you know, bit of success that the Queensland Greens ever had. So that was notable in that respect. They've since won a seat in the state parliament. So uh, I, I, I imagine that, that what's sort of most interesting about a Brisbane Council redistribution is whether or not it, you know, helps or harms the Greens' prospects. And that's helped a little bit in, in one or two other wards. So one, th- one other thing I want to mention before we wrap up this episode is that next year in July, we're going to be finding out how many seats each state will be entitled to in the House of Representatives at the next election. That entitlement is calculated a year after every federal election. The last entitlement in 2017 added an extra seat each in Victoria and the ACT and removed a seat from South Australia, which increased the size of the parliament by one. Um, William, in in your estimate, what looks most likely to happen in 2020? Uh, I think the writing's pretty much on the wall for Western Australia. It's going to lose the seat that it gained two elections ago. And the other possibility is that Northern Territory might be uh, beaten down from two to one. It went from one to two in 2001. And both of these are systematic of the hangover after the mining boom. Western Australia had a huge influx of population that caused a 16th seat to be created there last time. Now, the uh, pretty much everything in WA is tanking now, including the growth of its population. So uh, I think it's pretty clear that Labor's got, that, the, that the WA is going to lose a seat. Northern Territory will again be in the position that it was in around 2004, I think it was, where on paper, they were due to lose a seat, but in the unluckiest sort of possible circumstance, they were felt a fraction below the quota. So they legislated a fiddle on that occasion so that the Northern Territory could keep its seat. Um, it will be interesting to see whether that happens again. I think in the circumstances of 2004, both sides thought they could win both seats. So they, there was in terms of their partisan considerations, they were sort of happy to wave that through. This time, um, I think this pendulum's probably swung to Labor in the Northern Territory. I wonder if the end of that, you know, impex-driven resources boom has caused sort of Liberal voters to move out of the Northern Territory and in particular out out of Darwin. So if that happens and the Northern Territory does fall just below the quota, it's going to look pretty ugly because the Northern Territory is going to have, what, 150,000 voters in it compared to 100,000 everywhere else. And that's going to be a very large seat. It's going to be a very large seat. And how's it going to look for the world that our most Indigenous electorate looks like it's being gerrymandered against? 
you know, we can, it, it may not seem that way to us, you know, because, you know, it, it, this is all done on an objective basis. But, you know, I, I think you do have to sort of raise that kind of, you know, equity issue in relation to the Northern Territory. I will be interested to see how the politics of that plays out. So my understanding from some research that the Parliamentary Library did was that the NT is currently on track to fall further short than they did in 2004. So that could create a situation where that uh, particular fiddle in 2004 wouldn't fix their problem and it might be too much for the for the parties to consider changing the rules for the NT. But I think there's also some interesting questions about the way we calculate based on rounding up or rounding down from quotas, which works pretty well when you have a lot of seats. But when you have a small number of seats, it kind of creates a weird position where this was also true for the ACT before they gained their third seat. They had two very large electorates. Uh, and then they went to having three relatively small electorates. And I think it, it would be interesting to think about whether there are other ways to calculate the seat numbers, even if it's just for the territories, to ensure that you don't have this, to, to maybe give them a little bit more leeway um, in terms of having smaller electorates, particularly when they're so underrepresented in, well, they're, they're so underrepresented compared to the small states in the Senate. They're obviously probably reasonably well represented compared to the bigger states in the Senate. That's I don't know if we're going to see anything like that, but that, that will be an issue that, that probably will come up next year. If there is no saviour for the NT, if there's no salvation for the NT's second electorate, that will see the size of the parliament drop back to 150. Um, and Victoria, of course, we haven't talked about Victoria, but Victoria continues to boom and looks likely to gain a seat for the second election in a row. Yeah, that, 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 that's an excellent point. You know, I think that probably is what ought to happen, you know, because, you know, if Tasmania is going to have its kind of relatively small electorates with, you know, five, and which is you no know, constitutionally enshrined, but, you know, it kind of, it, that's the argument you're going to seize hold on if you're in the Northern Territory and you're aghast at the idea that you're losing one of your two members of the House of Representatives, you know, well, what about Tasmania? Considering how many more senators, you know, South Australia and Tasmania get the, compared to the NT and the ACT. Yeah. You'd have to say a, a minor fiddle to save a second NT seat that was about to fall below the quota. Probably in the scheme of things, you know, it's not like the Northern Territory is gaining uh, disproportionate power in our political system. On the other hand, you know, the uh, government would be, you know, happy to see two Labor electorates fall down to one. And, uh, you know, maybe that they're just going to say, well, you know, other people will be cranky with us in the Northern Territory, but that's not going to do us any immediate. Rules are rules. Yep, you know, they, they can do that and uh, maybe they will. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, in terms of what's going on in Western Australia, I uh, imagine that they will, you've got sort of two electorates out on the eastern suburbs of Perth Hasluck and Burt, Burt being the newly created one two elections ago, my feeling would be is that they're going to get merged one way or another and you will have, if they both hang around, Matt Keogh, the member, Labor member for Burt, and Ken Wyatt, the Liberal member for Hasluck, will have to go head-to-head -head in this sort of eastern suburb seat that will probably be pretty marginal. That, that would be my feeling, but redistribution is surprising. And of course, if the if WA drops from sixteen seats to fifteen, that will have an effect on every electorate, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, it will. But every seat will change. Uh, if you look at the the sort of geography, though, uh, a lot of the the seats are kind of held in place by 
ocean and river boundaries. So it's where you get out to the eastern fringes that they have more room for creativity. And uh, that's why I tend to think that that's where the, the axe will fall. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, William, for joining me. Been a great pleasure. Thank you. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. Information about this podcast is available at www.tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.